All right, good morning. Welcome to our next week of being scattered together. Uh, thanks for gathering in this way uh, so faithfully over this time. We are continuing to work hard towards getting us all back in here, but for the meantime, thanks for meeting this way, and I pray this is a blessing to you today as we gather this way. Um, we're going to come to this time in our service now. We'll look at a passage from God's Word. We will talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible, a Bible app or whatever it is, can you turn now today to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 6, jumping back into our Ephesians series now, and beginning at verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10, and read this passage for us. Paul writes this. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us quickly, and then we will jump into this together. Spirit of God, um, we come to you now just submitting our hearts and minds to you. Um, as we come to your word, would you just open up eyes and ears and hearts to receive what you want to uh, say to us today? We believe uh, you don't send this word out in vain. You have a purpose to accomplish in us, each one of us that hear this. Oh, God, would you accomplish that in us right now? I'm asking by your strength, not by any ability that I have. As I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Well, some of you will be familiar if you've ever uh, maybe read a lot of leadership books or conferences or things like that. You may be familiar with the story of a doctor working at Vienna General Hospital in the mid-1800s named Ignaz Semmelweis. Uh, in the section of the maternity ward where Dr. Semmelweis worked with his colleagues, there was, it said, a mortality rate among women who came in to give birth there of 1 in 10. So think about that. If 10 women head in to give birth one day, one of them is not going to make it out of the hospital alive. Just terrible odds. And, and as the story goes, the, sto the hospital had become so notorious that women preferred to try to give birth on the street rather than go in and give birth at Vienna General. Now, there was a, a different section of the maternity ward uh, where the mortality rate was 1 in 50, so slightly better. But there, there was the only noticeable difference between these two places was that this other ward was staffed by midwives and not by doctors. So this doctor, he became obsessed with trying to find the reason behind so many deaths, but it wasn't until he took a four-month leave to work at another hospital and the mortality rate suddenly dropped at Vienna General that he finally drew the connection between his work on cadavers because Vienna General was also a teaching research hospital and his work with live patients. Finally saw the connection between these two things because this was actually the very beginning of germ theory in medicine, how... how they came to understand germs and viruses and how those things work. And so 
then upon implementing a policy where physicians had to thoroughly wash their hands with a chlorine lime solution each time before they examined patients, Dr. Simmelweis watched the mortality rate at Vienna General drop from 1 in 10 to 1 in 100, almost immediately. So we are at the beginning of the end now in this teaching series that we embarked on all the way back in January of 2020. Can anyone even remember January of this year? It feels like it was a decade ago. Um, we started this series through the book of Ephesians back in January, looking at the cosmic vision of God from before the beginning of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth together in Jesus. And so we, yeah, we took a break over the summer months and into the fall here, looking at some things in Revelation and Matthew 28 with the Great Commission there. But now we are returning to finish out Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, which is going to lead us now right up until Advent. But as we jump into this and start looking at Ephesians 6, something that you, you might notice that's interesting is that if you were to look at chapter 1 and chapter 6 of Ephesians, like two bookends, one of the things you'll notice is that Paul begins this letter unfolding God's plan in Jesus to unite all things in heaven and on earth back to himself. But then now we see here in Ephesians 6, he closes the letter with a solemn warning about the forces of evil that work in the world that are fixed on trying to ensure that that vision never comes about. As John Stott says it, is God's plan to create a new society? Then the forces of evil will do their utmost to destroy it. Has God, through Jesus, broken down the walls, dividing human beings of different races and cultures from each other? Then the devil, through his emissaries, will strive to rebuild them. Does God intend his reconciled and redeemed people to live together in harmony, in purity? Then the powers of hell will scatter among them seeds of discord and sin. So Paul is describing what this epic battle looks like. This ongoing battle between the purposes of God for the church and the forces of evil. And yet the problem with what Paul is presenting to us here is that while we experience the effects of this battle every day, because the battle is spiritual, it's not a battle that any of us can see. Like you can't see this battle happening. You can't look out the window and see it. You can't scroll through your newsfeed and read about it. You can't see it. It's spiritual in nature. And because it's a battle that none of us can see with our natural eyes, that makes it very much like the battle that Dr. Semmelweis was fighting uh, there with his staff at the Vienna General in the mid-1800s. That is, it's a battle that is very real, very deadly, but invisible. Which, I mean, living in the midst of a global pandemic is something we should understand very easily. And if you didn't know already, it's the invisible nature of that battle in particular that leads the majority of us to one of at least two responses to Paul's description of this battle here. Either we become obsessed with all things, demons and the spiritual realm, finding a demon behind every problem and underneath every difficulty. This is what you know would lead you or your family. You go to the mall and suddenly your dad is rebuking the demon of no parking spot. Like, not, I'm not sure that's what Paul had in mind here. Or the problem on the other hand, and, and this is by far the more predominant response, especially in Western culture today, is we find the idea of being asked to believe in demons and spiritual battles as laughable, as, as preposterous as asking us to believe in unicorns and leprechauns. 
In his introduction to the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis stated very much the same thing, noting, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. Now, if Paul, if, if the Bible, if, if Lewis are, are, are wrong here, and, and all this talk about devils and demons is nothing more than just superstition, uh, religious folklore, then who cares? Who cares about any of this? So what? Uh, uh, this, this will be nothing more than a historical look at some of the beliefs and cultural beliefs of Paul's day. But, and, and here's the really important thing for us this morning, if they're right, if they're right, as I believe they are, and what Paul is doing for us here is actually peeling back the, the curtain, as it were, uh, between the, what separates the natural world and the spiritual world so that we can see what's truly going underneath the surface of every day of our lives, well then, we'd be crazy not to listen. And suddenly, both of those errors that Lewis mentioned as it relates to our understanding of devils becomes questions that we now need to have the answer to. How am I responding to this? For just, if we could just use that Discovery of germs by Dr. Semmelweis again. It's just an analogy for a minute. If we become obsessed about germs and, and oh, germs are everywhere and germs are on this, then suddenly I become paralyzed with fear. I can't do anything. But if I dismiss the threat entirely, if I just think, oh, germs are just a myth, well, then now I open myself to just constant, undefended exposure. Now, as Paul states clearly multiple times in this passage, his, his purpose for doing this, his purpose for pulling back the curtain and revealing this, this spiritual battle that we're all engaged in, he says, is so that we might withstand all the various attacks of the enemy and so that we might stand firm. That's, that's his whole goal, as he says there, that you might stand firm. And so all I want to do for a few minutes is just look at this passage together and, and begin to look at how it is Paul says we can do that. And the way Paul wants to help us do that, first of all, here this morning, is by revealing both the reality of the problem and the nature of the problem. The reality and the nature of the problem. Because, of course, just as Dr. Semmelweis discovered, until we come to accept that, that we're actually facing a problem to begin with, be that germs or demonic powers, we won't actually begin to do anything to address the problem. And once we've come to accept that reality... We need to understand the nature of the problem so that we can begin to know what it is that we need to do about that problem to fix it, to, to, to work against it. So let's look at what Paul says and learn together. So if, if you've closed your Bible, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open it again to this passage, Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. Follow along with me as we dig now back into Paul's letter to the Ephesians now and, and begin to learn from him what it takes for us to stand firm in the midst of the battle. So let's look first of all at the reality of the problem. The reality of the problem. And I want to deal with this first of all because if we can agree that this is even a problem to begin with, that is that there is actually a spiritual battle going on right now beneath the surface of everything we can see, then nothing of what Paul says here going forward is going to make sense to us nor will we make use of the, any of the resources that God has given us with which to address this problem and stand firm. 
And as I said, finding that agreement is not going to be easy because, as I said, ignoring or, or dismissing this problem out of hand remains by far the most predominant view that you see with regards to these, this idea of a spiritual battle, particularly in Western culture. Very interesting to see that in, in African cultures, Asian, South American, they're, they're very much open and agreeing about this spiritual battles, demonic powers. They, they, they understand that fully. It's only in Western culture that we tend to be so easily dismissive of these things. I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe it's because we've just seen one too many movies on this stuff. We just kind of, oh yeah, that's Hollywood magic or whatever. Or, or just living in a late modern post-enlightenment world where these kinds of previously unexplained phenomena we now have a, a natural scientific explanation for. We, we know that's what it is. And so because of that, we just can't be bothered to, to spend one of our most precious resources of time to deal with all this kind of fairy tales and nonsense. Like, no thank you. So that's why I want to begin by looking at what Paul has to say here about this dark sub-reality in your life and in mine and in the world and seeing if it's actually a plausible explanation, seeing if it maybe actually is worth our time. Because again, if the Bible's wrong about this problem, then we should ignore this. We should just move on to something else and, and find where the answers really are to all these struggles and wrestlings in our lives. But if it's right, well, then it's a problem that we can't afford to ignore. We can't afford to dismiss. And when you remember the context into which Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus here, living under religious persecution from the Jews, living under political persecution from Rome, it's important to remember that it could have easily sounded just as strange to them to hear Paul say there in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and present darkness and spiritual forces of evil, uh, uh, because they had more than enough evidence every day to prove that they were most definitely wrestling against flesh and blood people. They would have been like, no, no, I'm pretty sure that my neighbor trying to put me in prison, that's a flesh and blood person. He's, he's definitely wrestling with me. Uh, and yet, as one commentator rightly noted, in order to understand what Paul is getting at here, we can't just zero in on, on this one section and try to look at it all on its own. Like, tear it out of its context and try to look at it in a vacuum by itself. We need to understand what Paul says here in light of everything he's written through the entire letter. So we need to see it in its full context. So, so seeing what Paul wrote from the beginning of Ephesians uh, and all through about this idea of our alienation from God and from one another because of sin as well as the, the work of God in Jesus to bring about reconciliation but with the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We, we see that going all the way through and so we need to take that and let that inform what Paul's saying here in Ephesians 6. As Clinton Arnold notes, Paul, what Paul writes here in Ephesians 6 verse 10 and following he says, brings to a conclusion the moral exhortation that he began with in chapter 4, where he appealed to believers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So really, what Paul's saying here is just a part of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Which means, okay, trying to pull this all together. I know it's been a while since we've been in Ephesians, but pulling this all together, what Paul is not saying here to the church is, hey guys, don't worry, okay, don't. Don't worry, um, all, all the individuals, all the nations, uh, um, the uh, po political powers, the religious groups that are coming against you right now as you seek to live your life for Jesus, that's just an illusion. 
that's not real. That's not really what you're struggling with. Don't worry about that. No, that's, that's not what he's saying. What, what, what he's saying to the church then as well as to you and I today is don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't, don't, be, don't fall prey to the devil's schemes as you seek to live for Jesus by believing only what you can see in front of you and around you. For behind, this is what Paul's saying, behind every persecution and imprisonment, behind every battle that you see between nations or or between spouses, every conflict with your parents or with your friends or with that guy that doesn't want to put on his mask on the bus, whatever it is, there's a deeper spiritual reality going on underneath all that. A dark reality which remains completely unseen and is is inspiring, is fueling, is encouraging every one of those flesh and blood wrestlings. And that for you is going to make reconciled living in the midst of those battles seem impossible, seem unreasonable, and seem unfair. So, okay, so that's that's a lot. Take a moment and just think about that and just let that sink in for a minute. If Paul's right here, just let that idea sink in and think about what that might look like in your life right now today. Think about the last argument you had with your spouse. The shouting match you had with your parents or your friend. Think about the struggles and difficulty and conflict you went through this morning personally or with your family members just to get everyone to come in and sit down in the same room so you could watch the service? What was it that really caused that, that, that conflict, whatever it is that you're picturing in your mind right now, what was it that really caused it to begin and then to go on far longer with you saying far more hurtful things than you ever could have imagined before it began? What was it that really caused those things and kept them going? Was it really nothing more than simple cause and effect? They did this, I did this. Uh, Nothing more than just like, you know, marbles that just happened to connect with each other on a kitchen floor? Is it just neurons firing, uh, hormones being released, trained responses that we learned from the environment we were raised in or psychological pathologies? Is Is that really the only answer? for where those conflicts came from and why they continued on and were so difficult. It's possible. Absolutely that's possible. But couldn't it also be possible that those same conflicts began and then built out of the most subtle, the most barely perceptible of impressions in your heart and in your mind? Impressions like, you deserve, you've earned, how dare they, he always, she never, you shouldn't be expected to, did God really say, Don't hear Paul saying we don't wrestle against flesh and blood at all. Because as someone who was imprisoned, 
flogged, uh, stoned for his faith in Jesus, Paul knew we absolutely do. Hear him saying instead, as you seek to live your life for Jesus, we don't only wrestle against flesh and blood. There is a very real spiritual battle underneath all those flesh and blood battles. Driving, influencing, encouraging every single one of us. And I, I'm sure maybe there's some of you listening to this right now that would just say, but come on. Really? Like, I'm sorry, but this is, this is ridiculous. I'm sorry, like, do you really expect me as somebody in the 21st century to believe in this kind of stuff? I'm supposed to believe in uh, you know, little angels and demons sitting on my shoulders whispering to me, do this, no, don't, don't do it. Like, you really expect me to believe something like that? And the answer is no. No, not a, of course not. <laughs> because that, this idea of, of a angels and demons, that, that this is a caricature of something that Paul is describing here about a spiritual reality intended, that caricature I believe is intended to make what Paul's describing here of what's actually going on about the spiritual reality here to make it seem implausible, to make it seem irrational causing you to default back once more to dismissing the problem. Which may be, listen, exactly the point. As C.S. Lewis masterly describes, again, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, if you've never read that, it's this correspondence between a senior devil who is coaching or training a young protege. And he says this to him as he's trying to help him with his patient. He says, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights. Persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. Think, think back to Dr. Semmelweis and his work at the hospital there for a minute. As long as he was searching for a problem that he could see, something that he could look around and view in front of him, women continued to die at an alarming rate. It was only when he opened his mind to the possibility that maybe the problem was something that he could not see that he was finally able to begin defending against this disease that was tearing through his hospital. Now, yes, a germ, that's, that's still a natural cause for what happened, even if it's unseen. But maybe, think about this, maybe the devil's strategy among us is not so different. Maybe the point, maybe the greatest strength of the devil's schemes is also to remain hidden, to remain unseen, to sound ridiculous, to keep us constantly looking for merely natural psychological, sociological causes to all the, the, the problems, the wrestlings, the struggles in our lives, rather than looking to any, anywhere else, just remaining completely unaware and dismissive of his devices. Maybe that's his whole strategy. As the famous French poet Charles Baudelaire once wrote, and numerous modern films have since borrowed, he said this, perhaps the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he did not exist. Okay, so that's the reality of the problem. Again, not a scientific proof by any means, but, but 
I, I, I pray, a, hopefully, a, a plausible alternative to consider at least, and one that we have to acknowledge the Bible presumes throughout. The Bible presumes this, this spiritual reality throughout. The last thing I want to consider with you very briefly is what Paul reveals to us about the nature of the problem that he sees as our reality. And so let's look lastly here at the nature of the problem. The nature of the problem. And if, if the reality of the spiritual battle going on beneath the surface dealt with the first of Lewis's errors as it relates to our understanding of devils, that is, uh, to just dismiss their existence, then the nature of the spiritual battle deals with the second error, that is, an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. For what Paul reveals about the nature of the spiritual battle that we're up against, again, if you look back at that description, that listing that he gives us in verse 12, is that the enemy that we're fighting against is of a size and of a power and of a scope that, that is beyond any of our ability to, to fight against in our own human strength. It's, it's not possible. Uh, if you, for instance, have ever seen uh, the Lord of the Rings films or read the books, you might remember, for example, that scene uh, when they are traveling through the mines of Moria. And the fellowship that is around Frodo in the ring, they've just fought off this battle of orcs, only to be confronted as they scatter for cover uh, a huge Balrog. And rather than get ready and stand and fight, what is Gandalf's uh, instruction to them? He says, run! You need to get out of here now. Why? Because he says, swords are no more use here. This foe is beyond any of you. And yet one of the more common dangers for those who accept the reality of the unseen spiritual battle, but who develop an obsessive and unhealthy interest in devils, is that we can fail to remember what Paul also reveals about the nature of this battle. Namely, that Satan and his armies are a foe that is beyond any of us. It's beyond any of our ability to fight. You see this, for example, in the book of Acts, when there's a group of brothers who seek to mimic what they've seen the Apostle Paul do as it relates to casting out demons from people. In Acts 19, uh, Luke tells us this, uh, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So this is not something we have ability in ourselves to stand against. But if you look at what Paul says about the nature of this spiritual reality, this spiritual battle going on all around us at every moment of the day, you see that not once, not at any point does Paul suggest that we're going to be able to stand against this devil's schemes, that we're going to be able to withstand these evil days on our own. But only, look at verse 10, only in the Lord. In the Lord is the only way we do this, and in the strength of His might. That's the only way we're going to be enabled to stand against this foe, just as the armor of God, which is what we're going to look at in detail over the next few weeks, is the only protection, the true, only true protection we have against His attacks. 
which means in, in, in pulling back this curtain on the reality of this spiritual battle, we need to clearly see that Paul is in no way seeking to just rally a big enough army so that we can fight against Satan and his enemies. If he's just like, we can just get enough guys, then we can win this battle. That's not what he's saying. All he's doing here is simply trying to seek to, re- to reveal the fullest picture possible of what we are actually up against and the nature of the enemy that we're fighting against so that, as Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, that we will not be ignorant of Satan's devices. He wants us to see really clearly what it is we're fighting against. So, believing in the reality of the problem but not truly understanding the nature of the foe that we're really fighting leads us to seeking to fight the battle on our own. That's, that's one danger of this obsessive, unhealthy interest in devils. But what we want to see here is that Paul also helps us deal with another danger that we could have. Because another equally common danger of obsessive, unhealthy interest in devils is that we could see the true nature of the enemy that we're fighting and then become completely paralyzed with fear. Not able to move forward anymore. Fearful to try anything because we see what a great foe it is we're standing against. So th- think, think once more about Dr. Semmelweis and, and his work at Vienna General. To, to be unaware, to be dismissive of the germ problem, left the hospital incapable of helping its patients and really caring for them. That's the one side. But to accept the reality of the germ problem and then shut down the hospital entirely out of fear and paranoia, all oh, the germs, they're everywhere, we, we're never going to stop this, we've got to shut the hospital down, leaves the hospital in the exact same conclusion. Still not able to care for patients or help them, which is why I think Lewis said devils are equally pleased by both errors. Both of them leave us ineffective and open to attack. Which I think is exactly why before revealing the horrible nature of the enemy, Paul begins by reminding us of the superior nature of our God. You see that? Look again at verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on God's armor. He, he's giving us all of this picture again. And we need to read this in the context of what Paul's been saying throughout Ephesians. So we can see this is actually, he's been reminding us of this power and strength of God throughout the whole book. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 1, that the same power and, and might that Paul speaks of in verse 10 of our passage, in chapter 1, he's talking about from the very beginning of this passage. Asking in his prayer that the enlightened eyes of our hearts would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He's been talking about this power of God right from the beginning. It's immeasurable greatness, and it's a power, again, if you remember in Paul's benediction in chapter 3 that he said, is at work within us. Not on our own strength that we stand against this foe. It's with his power that is within us that we stand against it. So, so rightly understanding the nature of the problem gives us the proper respect for the strength of the enemy that we're up against without giving in to paralyzing fear of that strength. As theologian F.F. Bruce once noted, to be forewarned of the devil's schemes is to be forearmed against them. 
And I think that's true. And I think that's also undoubtedly one of the main purposes that Paul had for revealing both the reality as well as the nature of this unseen battle that is raging on still to this very day. It's easy for any of us to remain unaware of this battle. As we've seen, this is absolutely, uh, most certainly the devil's desire that he would be able to just continue to operate under the surface and unaware. We're unaware of what he's doing. And it's also easy and so, so common, especially in our Western world here, to just dismiss all this superstitious nonsense about devils and demons out of hand. Unless, of course, it's true and you can't. So here's the thing, I'm, I'm not expecting anyone to walk away from this teaching today suddenly just fully convinced uh, of the reality of demons and devils in the world and spiritual battle raging at every moment of every day until Christ returns. I'm not, I'm not expecting that. This is a lot to take in on a Sunday morning. But what I am hoping, at least, in light of the reality that the consistent theme that you see throughout the Bible from beginning to end is that one of the primary areas of Satan's focused attack and energy has been deceiving and destroying that one part of God's creation that's made in his image and likeness. People, that's been his focused area of attack right from the very beginning, that you would at least be willing to consider that perhaps that most passionate area of his focused attention has not changed. That maybe there is more going on underneath the surface of all the wrestlings and strugglings of your life and can be explained by just natural causes, by psychology, or, or as Shakespeare wrote, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Maybe there's so much more going on underneath that we've just been unaware of. And if you are ready, and I pray you are, if you are ready to at least consider that reality, my prayer is that in seeing the nature of this reality, that you become neither paralyzed with fear nor foolishly running out onto the battlefield with nothing but like a house coat and slippers on. For this foe is undoubtedly beyond any of us. And yet, as Paul begins right from the beginning, showing us with the strength that God provides and protected by every piece of the armor that he provides for us, which is, again, we're going to focus in detail on in the coming weeks, we will most assuredly be enabled to stand firm. As the great reformer Martin Luther wrote in his classic hymn, and I'll close with this, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And he has. And because of that, we know that his strength is truly sufficient to stand.